Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everyone. It is Pierce, host of the PJ's Cast. And if you enjoy listening to the PJ's Cast as much as we do recording it, please leave a positive review, subscribe, and share with friends no matter what platform you may be on. We love discussing the Chicago Blackhawks and, of course, the game of hockey. But we want to reach this out to a wider audience. And doing all those things really help us out. So once again, if you enjoy the PJ's Cast, please leave a positive review, subscribe, and share with friends. And I hope you guys enjoyed the upcoming podcast episode. Welcome everyone to the Peaches Cast. I'm your host Pierce, alongside of my usual co-host uh, Schmitty. But we have a special guest today. We have Scott Wheeler of the Athletic. How's it going, Scott? It's going well. Going well. I'm in the middle of the move, so it's been a bit of a whirlwind these mm. last couple of weeks. But other otherwise, all good. Oh, that's good to hear. So before we get into any of the questions, I just have to ask how is uh how have you been this past little bit? I know you have a son, and I'm just wondering how that's been. Yeah, he, I mean, he's awesome. You'll you'll probably hear him over the course of this chat at some point. <laughs> he He's a chatty guy at this point. He's about nine and a half months, coming up on 10 months here. So uh, starting to cruise around on furniture and uh, babble his way around the house and that kind of a thing. So it's been a lot of fun. And his name is Bo, right? Yeah, Beaumont. Beaumont, uh, okay. Bo, Bo for short. Gotcha, okay. Um, so to get on to the questions now, so we're Blackhawks fans and... Uh, things are like for the future in terms of prospects are it's looking kind of uh, bleak right now. So I kind of want to go back to the, the 2021 draft. I remember when you and Corey Promen were kind of like, grading the classes, the Blackhawks were one of the worst. And I definitely agree with that sentiment. And I'm just wondering if anything has changed for that this past year, like the almost year or so, because I kind of still feel the same, you know, it's not really like they're the fault that they decided to go with these little events players it's more on the people that picked them that they're going with these little event players like Nolan Allen and Ethan, uh, Ethan Del Mastro. I'm just wondering if your opinion on any of them has changed so far. Uh, I, I wouldn't say any strong divergences one way or the other. Certainly I think uh, some of those players have played well. They've kind of progressed how you'd expect them to progress. I think Nolan and Del Mastro have had perfectly fine seasons, for example, but in saying that, I still think if you go back and you look at the players who were available, you look at the talent that they passed up on, they were picking low upside kids. They were picking players who are likely to be role players at the next level. They were picking players with limited offensive upside. And I think by and large, when teams take that approach at the draft, they end up losing more often than they're winning. Even if those players work out, even if Nolan Allen becomes a top six defender, even if Ethan Del Mastro becomes a third pairing option for them it's still going to look 
I think in hindsight, still going to look back on that draft class and, and think negatively of it just because of what the other players who they passed up on who were available look like and become. Uh, so it just makes it very difficult when you're drafting players like that to have sort of significant success stories because in both of those kids play kids uh, sort of projections, you're not looking at a kid who's going to power play quarterback. You're not looking at a kid who's going to contribute offensively. So ultimately I think those things limit their upside and you're probably settle a little bit sour on, on the class as a whole, no matter how it shapes up, no matter who plays well and who plays their way in the NHL, I still think you're going to look back on it and be a little bit disappointed. My biggest one was Logan Stankov, and I remember we're doing this, a stream of the draft, and it was pick number 32, and I remember just uh, the person who was making announcing the pick said the WHO, and I'm like, oh my god, it's gonna be Logan Stankov, and then I heard the Prince Albert Raiders, Nolan Allen, I'm like, uh, I haven't really heard much of him, so the biggest thing was, like, they passed on guys like Logan Stankov, who I was such a big fan of, even Nikita Jabrikov, uh, Francesco Pinelli, and Aturatu were some guys that I thought of that they passed on, Obviously, the Blackhawks don't have a first-round pick this year unless they somehow acquire one at the trade deadline or by a miracle um, win the lottery. Um, so I'm wondering if there's maybe more of those players that uh, have eye upside but that could potentially fall into the late first round where maybe on the draft day you could move up and potentially grab one of them or they fall early into the second round because they do have their second-round pick still, so they could potentially get one in the late 30s kind of like they did with Alex DeBrink and not necessarily saying they're going to get a superstar like him, but even like a, maybe like a middle six four because they desperately need forward prospects. Well, they definitely desperately need forward prospects. You're bang on there. It's this draft. It's it's a little bit tricky. I would argue that this draft runs about 40 players deep, 45 players deep in terms of the true cream of the crop. Then there's about 70 or 80 players that I, I'm going to like. There, I just released a couple of weeks ago my midseason top 64 for this draft class. And I struggled cutting about, I don't know, 12, 13 kids off of that list. So if, as you can imagine, if that was 64, there's probably 76, 77 kids in this draft class that I actually quite like. So there will be talent there. The one kid I would probably really keep an eye on is a kid by the name of David Goyette. I feel like every time I come on a podcast to talk about this upcoming draft, he's the name I answer this question with. So uh, people who, who follow me will already be familiar with this, but Goyette's a kid who's not ranked widely in the first round probably won't be picked in the first round. If he is picked in the first round, it'll definitely be in the mid to late twenties, early thirties kind of a thing. And I suspect more likely he's going to be a thirties or forties guy. And he's a player who I, I really believe in as a top 25, top 30 talent in this draft class, a kid who I believe is a first round player in this draft class uh, plays with the Sudbury Wolves has been tremendous lately. That's a very young team in Sudbury and they're all kind of coming along together. So I expect them to be better next year uh, and he'll be a big part of that. He's already their leading scorer. I expect him to take a big step and produce a lot more offensively next year in the OHL. Uh, and he's a brilliant skater. That's that's the real strength of Goyette's game is his ability to move out there. And I, I think he's the kind of player that you could target and potentially really hit on. I, I think he's got a chance to be a potential impact guy in the NHL someday. Uh, and I, I don't say that a lot of, about a lot of guys once you get outside of the top 10 or 15 players in any draft class. So uh, I'm, I'm really fond of Goyette. He's, he's probably the one name that I would encourage teams to circle in on. 
So that's definitely a go. I'm going to keep it on. I Admittedly, I don't know much about this draft specifically after the top 10. And I'm just wondering, like, I've seen a bit of Owen Beck, and I'm wondering if that's another guy kind of in that same uh, tier, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Owen will definitely be around in that range. I think Owen is liked a little bit too much by the consensus. When you talk to, when I talk to NHL scouts and that kind of a thing, I actually think people tend to be a little bit too high on Owen. Uh, but he's obviously had a great season. Him and his teammate, Luca Del Beluz, have really put together excellent campaigns here and look like they're going to be first or second round picks, both of them. Uh, and both impressive, well-rounded players who really understand uh, how to impact the game, how to drive possession, how to make plays. I wouldn't say that they're, they've got sort of dynamic qualities to them per se, but both can can really make plays and are consistent offensive contributors and, and project as, as, like I said, kind of top 50 picks at the very least. So, uh, yeah, for sure. Those are, those are guys available in the second round that could, could become something. All right. I'm going to give the floor to uh, my French media. I've been asking all the questions so far. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I actually just have a question about a prospect specifically, because I just see him, I see him going up the prospect rings to where I've seen him at first overall at some points, uh, Logan Cooley out of the U S development program. I was just wondering uh, maybe kind of what your thought process is on him and his rise to the uh, draft rankings lately. Cause I saw he was fourth on your midseason ranking. So I was just curious. Yeah, I'm working on a feature presently on Cooley that actually should be out in the next month or two. So kind of a big look at where he comes from, his family. I've spoken to a whole lot of people about him. And he's a fascinating kid, obviously, as a smaller center. There's not a lot of five foot nine, five foot ten centers in the NHL. Uh, but the the comparison you always hear is kind of the Braden Point mold, right? He's he's the kid who can make plays, works his tail off, plays on the inside of the ice despite being a little bit on the smaller side. Uh, and has fans among pretty much every scout there. You won't, you won't find anybody who dislikes Logan Cooley's game. And you can certainly find people who dislike a lot of the games played by the other top prospects in this draft. There are question marks about virtually every top prospect in this draft class. And Cooley is just one of those kids who's universally well-liked, uh, kind of beloved in, in the scouting world. Everybody believes he's going to be a really good NHL player. And, and I also agree. So uh, an interesting, interesting story. He just obviously decommitted from Notre Dame and committed to the University of Minnesota, which is a big deal. University of Minnesota obviously comes with a little bit more notoriety, more of a knack for producing NHL talent than Notre Dame does. Uh, so that's, that's going to be a good landing spot for him. I'm looking forward to seeing him and, players like Matthew Nyes and Chaz Lucius and the group that they've developed there. So yeah, Cooley's a a very well-rounded, impressive player, great skater, really smart. And then, as I said, kind of plays it on the inside, plays in the middle of the ice, does a lot of the dirty work that you maybe don't typically expect out of five foot nine, five foot 10 centers. So easy player to root for. And I think he's going to be a heck of an NHLer. Yeah, for sure. I, I his game has really just popped off, and I've been starting to look at film lately. So I can see what I can see what you mean by every scout kind of has a liking for him because he just yeah. he he plays that way that uh, you know NHL GMs want your stars to play, which is just yeah. hard every shift. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Particular is center. Oh yeah, big time. Um, I had a I had a question going outside of this draft class specifically. Um, I think we've talked about it on our podcast a lot of how the last three years or so it's been really hard to gauge how prospects develop just because of the pandemic and how some minor leagues have been closed and whatnot. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it, I'm not I haven't really been following the Rangers closely, but like I know they're up in arms with how 
Lafreniere and Kako have developed over the last couple of years. I'm just curious as to what your take is on how some of these big stars around the league have been maybe not developing as fast as we saw like a line A or a Matthews or a McDavid develop. But I, I don't think that's a thing against them. I just think it's a slower development curve. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, it, it's been a weird couple of years. Obviously, the pandemic has played a role. That is undeniable at this point. Uh, virtually every league was either shut down at some point last year or played some kind of a reduced schedule. Players like Shane Wright in this draft class didn't play at all last season. Uh, Shane obviously only played the uh, under-18 World Championships last year and otherwise didn't touch the ice for any competitive hockey. So you've got that factor for a lot of the younger kids, especially kids who played in Sweden, Sweden's junior league got started last year, but then shut down early. And a lot of the kids who were playing at the J20 level in Sweden then had to play in the third tier pro league there. And, and in some cases in the second tier pro league there, Hockey Alsvenskin. Uh, so between Hockey Ekton and Hockey Alsvenskin and players moving around and a lot of kids went over to Europe last year and played in places like Hungary and Slovakia. And uh, it was just a different development uh, setting for a lot of kids, which made it very difficult to evaluate them. And then even the kids that were behind them, uh, kids like Simon Nemitz and others who are now coming up in this year's draft class and next year's draft class, they were all implicated. They were all uh, in the OHL's case, they didn't get to play their minor hockey. They didn't get to play their last year of AAA hockey before the OHL draft. So there's a lot going on on that side. And then as far as players like Lafreniere and Kako and Nolan Patrick and some of these other kids that maybe haven't hit like you'd expect of a first or second overall pick, I just think that people get too carried away expecting every kid to be Austin Matthews or to be Connor McDavid. And the reality is, is that those guys are once every 10 years and that in between you just get good players. And I think that's been the case. I mean, I, I still think Alexi Lafreniere is going to be a good player. I don't think he's going to become what Neil Yakupov became and really bust out and be out of the league in four or five years. And same with Kako. They're, they're finding their way. Part of it with Lafreniere in particular is that he plays behind two of the best left wingers in hockey there and just finding some of the opportunities, finding some of the power play time has proven difficult just because of the left wing depth specifically that the Rangers have. So it's a complicated web. I think we're going to get back to that generational talent next year with Connor Bedard and everybody will forget about some of these sort of disappointing quote unquote, I hate to use that word, but that's the one that gets thrown around. Um, so yeah, it's, it will be fine. Hockey will be fine. The first overall picks are still going to continue to be good players. And every once in a while, you're going to get a Matt Damichkov. You're going to get a Connor Bedard that comes along and, and really wows you, but that can't be every single draft class. There just aren't enough superstar talents of, of that quality. So uh, I think people need to temper their expectations. And the reality is, is that some teams that tank get lucky and they tank in Connor Bedard's draft year and other teams tank and they get Alexi Lafreniere and it's a completely different outcome. So uh, it, it's not an easy game to play in terms of going that route. Oh, yeah. I, as, oh you go. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I just feel as hockey fans, we were so spoiled, but between 2013 and 2016, we had Nathan McKinnon go first overall, even 2014, Aaron Ekblad went first overall. Maybe he's not in the tier of some of those guys, but he still came out strong and won a Calder. And then obviously 2015, mm -hmm. you have 
McDavid and Eichel. And then in 2016, you have Matthews versus Linus. So I feel like as hockey fans, we're, we've been like so spoiled by those guys. And then I think the next year was like, he sure that one first overall. I'm like, oh, okay. and then hockey fans are like, why aren't they like McDavid? You know, they're still yeah. very good players, but they're just not on that. Years. Yeah. <laughs> and if you look back at that 2017 class, it, it, in reality, it doesn't look like as weak a class as you might expect, no. given that Nico Hichier and Nolan Patrick went one, two, because you also had Kale McCarr and you had Elias Pettersson and there were other players at the top of that draft. You had Miro Heiskanen. Yeah. yeah. So there were, there were other players at the top of that draft that really hit and maybe they weren't the first and second overall pick like you typically expect, but there have still been true top of the lineup players to come out of that draft class. And I think the same will be true of this one that people have in the scouting world have started to be disappointed about 2022 and how it's looked last year teams at the deadline in 2021 were trading their 2021 picks to acquire 2022 picks at the deadline because the belief was that next year's draft was going to be better and now we're in 2022 and i think there's an easy argument to be made that last year's draft class looked stronger than this year's draft class does so it's just a it's a weird thing you're dealing with teenagers you're dealing with kids who sometimes hit a wall and and stop progressing and then sometimes they sometimes they really take off so uh it's it's an an impossible game to play if you're trying to predict what's going to happen and we just have to do our best with the data and with the video and with talking to people and learning as much about these kids as we can Kind of on the topic of still prospects and young players maybe not going, developing as maybe fans think they have. Um, right here, like as Blackhawks fans, one big person that would be is Kirby Duck because I – I think me and Dylan are huge believers in Kirby Duck. Maybe he's not going to be like uh, this like 80, 90 point guy, but I still think he could be a 50, 60 point guy who's very good defensively when he has the puck on his stick, when he's going, he's kind of like this Ryan gets off where it's impossible to get him off him because he has the size and he has the skiing and strength and all that. And um, there's also debate like whether or not he's even going to play center because he's just been so bad on faceoff. So I'm I'm wondering what your thoughts are on Kirby Dak. And obviously, when you look at players like Jack Hughes that are finally taking out, not like the Blackhawks had a chance to pick him up anyways, but you see guys like uh, Moritz Sider that probably should, I in my opinion, should win the caller this year. You see Trevor Zegers really taking off in Anaheim. You even see Matt Bullion in Minnesota, who's point per game. So I'm wondering what you think about Kirby Dak because it's definitely – I got to understand being frustrated by him, but he's also just turned 21. So, yeah. Yeah. I still believe in Kirby doc as well. Uh, I wrote obviously in advance of the draft that he wasn't the guy I would have taken third overall. I wrote that before the draft and after the draft. So I've always been a little bit lower on him than maybe the Blackhawks were when they drafted him. But still in saying that, I think he's a heck of a hockey player. I think he'll be just fine even if he becomes a 50-point second-line player rather than a 70, 65-point first-line player, that's fine. A 50-point player is still a guy who makes five, six, seven million dollars a year in today's NHL, and maybe he just becomes a six million a dollar player in the prime of his career rather than a eight, nine million dollar player, right? Uh, and he was never going to be the 10, 11 million range, right? So uh, I still think he'll be fine. I still think he's going to be a high impact guy and a big part of their future. And he's really going to find his offense more consistently than he has in the last three years. But there's been a lot that has gone on with him too. He plays on a bad team. He has obviously <laughs> dealt with the injury bug. And they've been trying to figure it out with a lot of guys. They've been trying to figure it out with Strom, And they've been trying to just kind of, 
find where everybody fits in that group. And now they've, he needs to be made a priority. They need to make sure that he's getting ice time, that he's getting reps, that he's playing on the power play. I think that should be a big part of the final stretch of this season is just making sure that Kirby Doc is involved as much as he can be. And the wins and I mean, I hate to say it, but you, you guys were kind of chuckling when I called them a bad team, but the wins and losses at they this are. point in the campaign <laughs> are not the be all and end all of, of what matters for the Blackhawks and someone like Kirby Doc and his future with the organization and his future as an impact guy is a be all and end all outcome for them. He just has to work out and he has to get better. So I really do think they just need to focus on him as one of their key sort of pieces down the stretch and see what he looks like playing 17, 18 minutes a night instead of 13 minutes a night, right? Like they, they just have to get him those kinds of looks. I, I agree a hundred percent. And we, I think we both kind of thought when Taves got hurt again, he was just going to get that role. And then all of a sudden they Derek King's kind of thrown. The thing I don't give with the Blackhawks the last couple of years, at least is like, I've been a firm believer that you can't have a revolving door on your wings or else you're never going to get consistency. And that's been Doc's biggest problem is consistency. And I don't know how you can be consistent when you have different wingers every three games. So I just, and if he's not a center, you just put him in like, I don't know. There's just so many ways where they could put Doc in the top six and it's not a problem and they choose not yeah. to. And it frustrates me. It frustrates yeah. me a lot. Because when he's on his A game and you see that confidence, he'll shake off three guys behind the net and set up the break in. It's you see you see the skills there. It's just it's yeah. sometimes it's hard to watch when the coaching staff doesn't even see it at times. So yeah, no, I don't blame you for feeling that way. I, I think he's a better asset than the way that he's been deployed and played this year. I think that's the simple answer. And certainly, certainly from an on ice perspective for the Blackhawks, like going forward, that's got to be one of their biggest priorities is finding a way to get Kirby Deck going consistently, finding them players that he can play with consistently, and also a coach that's going to bring the best with them. And all due respect yeah. to Derek King, but I just don't think he's getting that right now. And if you can fire, like maybe find a veteran coach, maybe a coach gets fired that you don't expect that consistently gets results out of top players like I was still <laughs> thinking Bruce Brujo would be, would have been a good hire but I think you also gotta like find a coach that can develop and uh, develop him and find the or help bring out the positive aspects in his game so yeah I, I still think Kirby Dak is going to be like I still really do think he can be a center like a second line center I don't know if he's going to be a first line center but at the same time, we've also seen teams like St. Louis where maybe they don't have the superstar center. Like Ryan O'Reilly is very good, where maybe Kirby Duck could be that where you're getting 60 points and kind of in that silky conversation. I think that's kind of the best case scenario for him. And going back to the main draft, obviously Shane Wright is the uh, number one pick. And um, and this is kind of a two-parter question because Shane Wright has gotten some discourse where it's like, okay, he's not even that good of a first overall pick. And I, and I remember like the next day, everyone like everyone was disappointing about him and then I saw this play where he just like banked a shot from behind the net I'm like this guy has got skills so one I want to think of, want to hear what you think about Shane Wright as a first overall pick and also who goes number two because that's more intriguing to me because I don't think there's a consensus consensus number two we saw someone like Yuri Slavkovsky at the Olympics really shine as an MVP and I'm wondering if that's maybe enough like are there other players in there like Matthew Savoy Logan Cooley so yeah I just want to hear from you on that yeah, well, first on Shane, I think Shane is tremendous. Uh, I'm a big fan of the way he plays the game. He's a great kid. He's a lead by example kind of guy. He's got the NHL frame. He, I know he's a freak athlete. I actually worked out with him once as part of a story. Uh, and he is an athlete, man. Like he is, 
in the gym with NHLers, he does, he, he, that kid would not look out of place one bit. So uh, he's got that piece of the puzzle. He's got, if you meet him in real life, he's got very square boxy shoulders, kind of a, a just built like you'd, like you'd hope a player to be built. And then on the ice, I think he's a fabulous player as well. I think his two-way game almost gets too much credit when people are trying to defend Shane Wright and talk him up and uh, sort of boost him up as as more than he is. They often point to his two-way game, and the reality is that you don't draft the first overall pick to be a defensive center. Uh, so I, I like that piece of his game for sure. He's a very committed player. He swings deep in his zone. He has to track the play back up ice from behind the play a lot because of how much support he's providing below the goal line and in front of the net. So all of that's true. He's a very committed player on that side of the puck. But I also think he's a very dangerous offensive player. He certainly has an NHL shot. He can score from mid-range consistently. He's got a really good curl and drag. I kind of want to get on to the, the second part of that question. Who could be at number – who do you think should be the number two pick? Because um, – in my opinion, it should be Matt Savoy just because he has that high upside. I don't think he's going to play in the NHL this year because of his size, but just I always believe in, in betting on skill and upside, and I'm wondering if you think the same or if someone else is in there. Yeah, so Matt Savoy was was second on my, my midseason ranking. I don't expect him – if it's a question of who I think versus who will, uh, I don't expect Matt to be the second overall pick in this draft class. I expect him more likely to be selected around five, six, seven, that kind of a range. Uh, but in saying that, I do think that Matt is the most gifted player in this draft class and certainly the most gifted player after Shane Wright. I actually think there's an argument for him to be more talented than Shane Wright in terms of the pure skill piece of the puzzle. Uh, he can really shoot it. He's got dynamic hands. He's one of the best skaters in the draft. Uh, so he, he can just create in so many ways and do so much with the puck on his stick that he's going to be the, the most entertaining player to come out of this draft class. I think he's going to be a true power play guy. He's going to find the highlight reel with his ability to use his hands and skating to create chances for himself. Uh, so he's going to be just a ton of fun to watch. And I think you'll look back on this draft class. And if he goes in that range that I expect him to, if he goes sixth or seventh overall I think you could look back like you did with Elias Pettersson back in 2017 and think okay this kid should have been a second or third overall pick rather than a sixth or seventh overall pick um so I, I really like Savoy but I think the answer to the the first way that you asked the question before we broke there was <laughs> I, I think it'll be I think Logan Cooley is the front runner to be the second overall pick in this draft class um after Shane I do think that Logan if you were to survey a group of 10 scouts, for example, that Logan would probably be uh, the favorite for second overall. That doesn't mean it will be Logan, but I do think he's the front runner. And if not, you mentioned Slavkovsky earlier, but Slavkovsky has kind of played himself into that top three or four conversation for sure. Um, uh, it just it hasn't been great for him in Liga, but I actually think he showed quite well there and he's made a lot of plays at, at, at the Liga level. Uh, and I hope that after his Olympics and how good he was, that when he goes back, he'll, he'll be given greater opportunity, greater minutes, greater role, that kind of a thing. Um, but he, he, he has played a regular shift on that team. So I don't think you can chalk it up to ice time like you could with a Danila Yurov in the KHL where he just doesn't, he plays games technically, but he doesn't ever touch the ice. Um, with, with Slavkovsky, he's playing 13, 14 minutes a night. So he is, he is a regular on that club. Uh, but yeah, I, th I think those are kind of the three names that you'll most commonly hear now uh, at the top of the draft are Slavkovsky, Cooley, and Wright. 
Okay, so where are you are where are you at on Brad Lambert? Because coming into the year, I think he was a huge favorite to go like right behind Shane Wright and potentially even challenge him. And it's just been such a rough year for him. So uh, where would you, where do you have him ranked? Yeah, I had him at I believe fifth on my midseason uh, ranking. I, I think a month later, I would probably have him sixth or seventh, uh, in particular because Slavkovsky was eighth, and I'd probably have Slavkovsky not in the top three conversation that some have him in, but I'd certainly have Slavkovsky up from eight, which means he's probably five, six, seven somewhere for me now. Uh, so all of that taken into account, I still do like. Brad Lambert a lot. Obviously, it's been a difficult go. He really flashed what everybody knows he is capable of at the World Juniors, where he was sensational, and then the tournament was cut short and canceled, obviously. I suspect that he'll flash again and that they'll reunite that line that was so dangerous for the Finns uh, when everybody gets back together in Alberta in August to host the World Juniors again. Uh, so he's going to have an opportunity to redeem himself, but the August World Juniors comes after the draft. Uh, so he will have already been selected. All of that's going to take place. And the reality of his actual draft year is that it's been underwhelming. Uh, he can still really skate. He's one of his best, one of the best players in the draft on his edges in terms of cutting back, changing directions, attacking on the angles, taking pucks off the wall to cut to the inside. So that piece of his game is really exciting. And then he's got an NHL shot. He's got quick hands. It's really just been the consistency for him. It's doing that and doing it consistently against men, which he has struggled to do this year after showing some promise last year and the year before that even. Um, so it, I don't know. It's tricky. I think if he were playing in the CHL, he'd be lighting it up and we maybe wouldn't be having the same conversations that we're having about him, especially because he could easily be playing in the WHL if he wanted to. He's actually, his family's from Western Canada. Um, so yeah, all, all of that is a, a complicated web to unravel for sure. I still think on talent, he deserves to be a top 10 pick in this draft. Okay, so my last question to ask is kind of uh, back to the Blackhawks prospect. I remember the 2020 draft, I was kind of like, eh. But like, like kind of looking at the top four picks, like selections they made at the draft, it's really grown on me. Obviously, Lucas Reichel is point per game in the AHL. Drew Camesso, even though he played mm -hmm. two games, it wasn't the starting goalie for the US. Like the progression he's made this last like couple months, he's been he's been incredible. And even uh, players like Lennon Slager is is starting to show some offensive upside. And Wyatt Kaiser, I believe, had just had an injury, and I think he'll be back sometime in, like in April or late March or something like that. It's really grown on me, and I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of almost all of those names, to be quite honest. I did a story on Swaggart at the World Juniors and got to know him through his family and through the folks at Notre Dame where he plays. And he's just a very good depth piece of the puzzle. I, I think he, he, he very likely tops out as a fourth line guy. Um, I think if he's a third line guy, that's a huge success story for Landon Seiger, but more likely a fourth line guy. And it's still quite possible that he just becomes a good college player who maybe goes on and plays in the AHL and is a very good, effective AHL player. Uh, but given where he was drafted, that's a fine place for Landon to be. He was a third round pick and I think he'll be fine. I think he'll get signed out of college and maybe become something for them. So that's kind of what you hope for out of every player taken in that range. Uh, Wyatt's an interesting one, obviously plays on a loaded blue line and is still a very good player. Uh, so th that's a credit to him, a credit to the way he skates, a credit to the way he defends. 
Um, it, there, he still feels very raw, oddly enough. Like he, he still feels like there's a lot of refinement and polish that needs to happen with Kaiser's game to get him to where he needs to be, which is probably just as a third pairing defenseman. Uh, but Kaiser's interesting. And then obviously the two prizes there are Reichel, who I think is going to be a top nine scoring winger and just plays the game with so much finesse. And then Kamesa, who another kid I wrote a story on recently, who has, you're absolutely right, after entering the World Juniors with a sub 900 save percentage is suddenly up to 915 with just how well he's played in his last handful of games at BU uh, and was great at the World Juniors in his start there and was great in his two performances for the U.S. Olympic team. So Kamesa is a legit prospect. Like I, I would say that after the Sebastian Kosas, Yepper Wallstedt's, uh, Yaroslav Askarov's, Devin Levi's, like after you get through the first four or five uh, goalie prospects in hockey, I think he's in that next tier. He's a top 10 goalie prospect in the sport uh, and a legit future goalie. So uh, maybe not a starter in Kamesa's case, but I think you'll see him as a, 1A, 1B, or 2. And that's fine. That's, again, that's a, another good outcome for a second-round pick. So uh, all four of those kids that you mentioned are, are coming along well. Yeah, we have another goalie prospect, uh, Arvid Soderblom. I don't know if you know too much about him, but yep. uh, the big thing is, like, maybe they don't have an elite goalie that comes out of it, but maybe you have a nice uh, 1A, 1B situation with uh, Soderblom and Camesso. So at least the Blackhawks do have a bright uh, future in goaltending and uh, Schmitty, I don't know if you have uh, anything else to ask, but I think we can end this off just before it uh, inevitably crashes out again, because that's my luck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm good. Uh, I, we appreciate you for coming on the show, by the way. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks a lot. for having me, guys. It means a lot that you came on. I always like it what's brought, like we've had Chris Peters on before and Will Scouch. Like, it just feels like when we have uh like the scout the the scouting guys on like they know they know their shit as and like they they can you can just talk forever and we can listen and you don't have to hear our dumb voices and someone who knows what they're <laughs> no, talking I about so <laughs> i appreciate that i appreciate that it's very kind of you and will and chris are, are good people i know will personally he's a toronto guy like me so uh, <laughs> i know will personally and, and chris is excellent at what he does so all right so uh thanks for coming on scott and uh, best of luck with the uh, move Thank you. Thank you.